Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Censored. I'm Aoife Vrutnach, a historian trash reading the Irish band list. This is a podcast where memories are mandatory. I'm not saying you have to have them or like them, but almost all the books feature boobs. Tits are literary shorthand for sexual shenanigans. And if the censors banned any book that mentioned boobs, it's not surprising they ended up with the longest blacklist in European censorship history. Of course, this means more filth for me and you to enjoy. If you want to help keep the podcast ticking over, I'm on patreon.com slash censoredpod. Thank you to my latest patrons, Juliana Edelman and Loic Reich, for signing up. It really does help. This episode is about The Joy of Sex, a gourmet guide to lovemaking by Alex Comfort. Published in 1972, it was banned in Ireland in 1974. This book was a huge bestseller in Britain and America and made Dr. Alex Comfort internationally famous. His fame proved very useful when the Irish censors banned the book a second time in 1987. Yes, you heard me right, 1987. First off, I'm going to explore the text because it's a relic of a time when, if you wanted a G-string, you had to make one yourself. Then I'm going to tell you the wild story of how a revived censorship board banned the book for the second time in 1987. The controversy that followed showed how banned books could circulate freely in Ireland in the 70s and 80s. To turn to the text first, I spoke with Dr Donna Drucker about the importance of Comfort's book as a sex manual. Donna is the author of Contraception, A Concise History, and The Classification of Sex, Alfred Kinsey and the Organisation of Knowledge. She teaches English and History at Darmstadt Technical University in Germany. She was a guest in Season 2, talking to me about the Kinsey Report and sexologists in literature, so it was natural I would ask her back to talk about sex manuals. Hi Donna! Hi Eva. nice to talk to you again. I mean, the Chapman report was hilarious in a strange sort of way, but this is um, genuinely hilarious. It's one of the funniest books I've ever read. 
it's really, really something reading it uh, from cover to cover, which I had not done before um, preparing for our talk today. <laughs> yeah, immersive experience. But one of the things that this book became sort of famous for as a cultural touchstone was the hair. The man is very hairy. Um, he's got this enormous, mullety, crazy hairdo. Was the hair a conversation piece even in the 70s when people were a lot hairier than they seem to be now? No, the hair, um, the heads and the bodies and the faces of the man were quite representative of how of comfort and others um, either maintained or didn't maintain body hair at the time. Uh, comfort seems particularly preoccupied with smell and with armpits. And he's very excited by um, opportunities to smell armpits, to lick armpits. He is very against deodorant. He wants women and men to smell their natural smells. They want to um, have aroma as a, an aphrodisiac, really. And so the, the visual representations kind of match in your mind the, um, the smell, perhaps, of um, what sex would be like um, at the time. Hmm. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. I hadn't made the connection between the the illustrations being hairy and trying to evoke a sensual atmosphere, actually. What I really thought was hilarious about the book was occasionally these kind of fantastical descriptions of extremely unlikely sexual positions or uh, often called from other cultures. He seems to have this random bricolage attitude where he talks about this French position and this Russian one and this habit here. I'm going to now say what my favorite laugh out loud moment was, and I'd read it out to you. And then maybe you can do the same to me. Sure. So my favorite one, the one that, I mean, there were a lot of laugh out loud moments in this book. I can't lie. There was a lot of giggling. But the funniest for me was the South Slav style masturbation moment called the lion oh it's page 174 in my edition which is the 1987 revised edition the lion position is a male masturbation method squat down heels to scrotum place the penis between your ankles rest on buttocks and hands and move legs together the style is passionate and affectionate as befits a race of bride-stealing warriors whose women were formerly and still are natural partisans, tough plus tender. I mean, honestly, what? What is that even about? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. Over to you. Yeah, um, this is a little long. It's a couple of paragraphs. It's uh, the paragraphs on the standing positions. And I think, you know, for all the illustrations in the book, I would be curious why this position did not have illustrations because it seemed designed for it. The traditional upright is a quickie and apt to produce stiff male muscles unless she is tall. Many women need to stand on two Manhattan phone directories with the yellow pages or an equivalent. Best undertaken up against a solid object, such as a wall or a tree, not a door, whichever way it opens. Alternatively, you can be freestanding, legs apart for stability and arms clasped round each other's buttocks. 
Looking down as you move can be really sensual. There are two kinds of positions. This one, subject to a good match in height, and the Hindu versions where he picks her up. These are tremendous if she is light as an Oriya dancing girl. Otherwise, they need to be executed in water to make her weightless. For a tall girl, try her with her arms around your neck, one of her feet on the ground, and the other over your elbow. She can then go legs around your waist, both legs over your arms, and even both legs around your neck, lying back, if you are strong enough, into a head down position. Try this over a bed in case you drop her, but stand on a firm floor, not a mattress. If you are back up to a wall, she can swing herself with one foot. Not good orgasm positions, designed rather to spin out question. Standing positions from behind need no special comment. She needs to lean over or hold on to something rigid. If you have real height problems, try the upright positions on a flight of stairs. The head down genital kiss is a winner if you are strong enough to hold her up and she takes a good leg grip. Oh my God. Why not a door? That's what I want to know. What's wrong with the door? <laughs> I guess if you're not home alone or it might swing open, um, you could have an accident, I suppose. And fall down. <laughs> and, yeah, and don't drop anyone, please. No, no, do not. That would kill the mood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on there. That's, that's a lot of different sequencing. Yes, not for not for amateurs. <laughs> well, I think that South Slav style was actually, it seems like the sort of thing that you would tell anthropologists, you know, who are coming up with their notebooks and asking you random questions about your private life, that you would tell them that in order to take the piss, really. It just seems like the most ridiculous thing <laughs> ever invented. Yeah, I'm not sure where comfort gets um, all these ethnic attributes for different different kinds of positions, um, but some of them are in fact uh, quite racist and even offensive. For example, he has a position called the negress. Um, he likes to use French words, I suppose, to make uh, different positions sound more exotic. But if I may quote another one, um, a la negress from behind. She kneels, hands clasped behind her neck, breasts and face on the bed. He kneels behind. She hooks her legs over his and pulls him back to her, I'm sorry, and pulls him to her with them. He puts a hand on each of her shoulder blades and presses down. Very deep position, apt to pump her full of air, which escapes later in a disconcerting manner. Otherwise, excellent. Why that would be associated with African women? I don't know, but he seems to use exoticizing language to indicate to his readers that these positions are outside of the Anglo-Saxon norm. Mm. Yes. You can do them because I'm giving you permission to do them. (laughs) Yes. Today, this book, it now seems so quaint and often hilarious But this was a world where you couldn't buy G-strings in the shop. He actually provides a pattern where you can make your own G-string. How did Comfort's book change attitudes to sex? It's hard to say because not a lot of people left um, informal thoughts about the book. But it certainly didn't make him rich, but it made his publisher rich, and it made him 
famous. And what it also seemed to do was um, less in, be an influence on people, but to capture the spirit or a zeitgeist of the sexual revolution in the early 1970s before uh, AIDS and after uh, the hormonal pill, because frankly, without the pill, the book wouldn't look the way it did. Um, even though he discusses contraception, um, this book clearly assumes that um, the couple is having non-procreative sex and is not messing around with spermicides or, or condoms. So the book really kind of captures this kind of sense of freedom, of newness, even though very little about it is actually brand new, um, of possibility and really of, I think, leisure in exploring your sexuality um, rather than thinking of sex as something you do for procreation or you do for three minutes on a Friday night um, to satisfy or not satisfy your partner, but really as a talesman for or, or even permission to have sex um, just for its own sake, not to con conceive a baby or to uh, serve any other, any other purpose. Did his book change sex manuals? Was there a different style of approach after this? Or was it in fact quite a typical sex manual? In a lot of ways, it was a continuation of other sex manuals because it you know, depended in most of its text on and most of its images on white heterosexuality with able-bodied um, people who had time and privacy. Um, it's very traditional in terms of its gender roles. Um, there's lots of language about men like this and women like that. There's very little understanding of male and female as fluid categories. For comfort, they're very fixed. But what it does is end up kicking off more illustrated guides, uh, more in-depth illustrated guides and it also, in some ways, provides a model for uh, pornography, because at a very, very similar time, um, you know, pornography in the U.S. is becoming mainstream, and people are seeing a lot more, uh, not just still images, but a lot more video images that are a lot more widely available. And so, um, not that necessarily that people would look to something like Deep Throat for ideas on how to uh, please please a, a lover or please, please a partner. But I think it, it puts the visuals as instruction in your, in your eyeballs in a way that previous sex manuals only depended on text to do. And you were saying that it's quite heteronormative. I mean, he, he's very phallocentric as well. I mean, it's a very personal take on sex but that aspect to do with homosexuality could you talk a bit more about that I mean it didn't really it doesn't age well when you read it now there's a brief mention towards the end um, in the so-called sauces and pickles section which describes um, what he considers to be more unusual uh, forms of sexual expression and activity but he really does not spend 
much time, at least in the 1972 edition, which I have, that on anything related to um, same-sex um, behavior at all. Um, like your example, um, you know, was about uh, masturbation. Presumably one could do that on one's own or with it in front of a partner. So while this book kind of comes as part of uh, the sexual revolution or it encapsulates a lot of what people might think of as the ele important elements of the sexual uh, revolution, what it emits almost entirely is any sense of the gay and lesbian um, activism or explorations of sexuality um, that are, are coming to the forefront of public, um, of the public um, at the same time it's been published. Yeah, there's a really funny uh, sentence on page 45, which is just, God, it's it, in, a, in a book that's supposed to be broadening your horizons, it seems to be so limited. And it reads, women who have really learned to enjoy sex are usually as fascinated by their lover's penis, size included, as men are by women's breasts, shape, odor and feel, and learn to play with it fully and skillfully. I mean, that's such a traditional idea of gender roles and also people's ideas of sexual attraction. It's so one-dimensional. Yes, um, for all the uh, purported um, elements of, of freedom and kind of permission to explore oneself and one's partner's bodies and pleasures, at its heart, it's a very conservative book. It only really expands the boundaries of what was possible um, by a few inches, metaphorically. I, I found it a bit strange, the opening at the preface, when he was talking about the research for this book, and he claimed, you know, it was done by a couple who submitted the research to him, and he merely edited it. But I thought the authorship and research question was more complicated than that. I couldn't help but ask, was Dr. Alex Comfort the randy bloke who tried out everything he could think of? And who was his female research assistant? Do we know about how the book originated? Who are the couple? Um, the idea that Alex Comfort was the editor of this text rather than its author is really a fig leaf over the fact that um, he was the originator of the text along with his long-term uh, par partner, not his wife, but his long-term uh, second partner. Uh, her name was Jane. And he lived more or less in an open relationship with her, along with an ongoing relationship with his wife, Ruth. And the idea that the book was edited by him and not written by him um, was done by him really to protect Ruth's feelings as far as that could go. I don't know how Ruth felt um, in general, but I don't know if that the idea that it was edited by him instead of written by him would really do much to assuage them. So the, the positions in the book were, I don't want to say designed, but um, carried out by uh, Comfort and his uh, second partner. He took Polaroids of them in the different positions and thought that initially the illustrators of the book could use the photographs themselves um, as the illust actual illustrations. Uh, the illustrators decided not to do that, um, but rather one of them 
um, and his wife reenacted the positions while the second illustrator actually did the drawings. So the couple in the book are real people. Um, their names are Charles and Edeltraud Raymond, and the illustrator's name is Chris Foss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As we discussed, this was a very personal book by Comfort. But the kookier, more adventurous sexual suggestions cannot disguise its essential conservatism. At its heart, it's about a heterosexual couple in a committed relationship with lots of time and leisure. Joy of Sex was popular in Britain and America, but initially banned in Ireland. And now I'm going to talk about when the ban expired in 1986 and what happened to Joy of Sex next. Comfort's book was brought before the censorship board for reconsideration in 1987. And when it was banned for the second time, the joy of sex became national news. All the daily newspapers wrote about it, not just the Irish Times, which you could always rely on to cover censorship news. The other dailies rarely talked about censorship, but the banning of the joy of sex appeared in all the newspapers. And that press coverage revealed one vital, wonderful fact. The joy of sex was on the government blacklist, but it was circulating freely in Ireland before 1986. A book agent recalled selling it to the bookshops in the early 1970s. Bewildered healthcare professionals said they'd been handing it out for years. You could buy The Joy of Sex from the Irish Family Planning Association for £3.95. According to them, once the ban became news, people flooded in and stripped our shelves of the book, thinking it might become unobtainable. After the run in their stock, they placed a large order for more copies, because importation of banned books was permitted under certain therapeutic circumstances. There would be no shortage of the joy of sex in the bookshops of the Irish Family Planning Association, at the very least. 
It looked like the board's 1987 ban was going to be as ineffective as its first in 1974. The ban had shock news value because it was ridiculous to prohibit something that was widely available. And the censorship board had kind of been forgotten by 1987. Harold Clark, head of the largest bookseller in the country, commented that he hadn't received a list of banned books for some time. The Arts Council was horrified at this sudden reactivation of the board, obviously thinking it had gone into hibernation. But the censorship board had never really gone away. The banned list wasn't published in the Irish Times from the late 1970s onwards, but that did not mean censorship was over. As the joy of sex showed, when the 12-year bans expired, the board reconsidered a publication. Members of the public could still complain about dirty books. An expensive coffee table book called Erotic Art of India was banned alongside Joy of Sex after the board received a complaint from the public. It featured photographs of statues of Hindu gods and goddesses having fun with body parts. And I'd love to know who had the brass neck to read a sex guide written by a porn star only to write to the censorship board about it. The decision in February 1987 to ban all these books shows a board operating true to form. Sex manuals, nudie art pics and pure filth had been on the blacklist since the 50s. What's different about the 1980s is that everyone was ignoring censorship. When banned books could be purchased, it was easy to forget the board even existed. And the defiance of the Irish Family Planning Association and those desperate book buyers is very cheering to read about. But the new ban did have one quite serious effect. The joy of sex was removed from the bookshelves of Eason's, the largest bookseller in the country. The head of Eason's said, The whole concept of censorship in 1987 is pretty stupid, but the company decided to obey the law. Irish booksellers had never shown any appetite to challenge the censorship regime. But others were not so quiescent. The newly formed Irish Writers' Union organised meetings and consulted lawyers to see if the ban could be overturned. Ordinary citizens couldn't challenge bans even if they could instigate them. The publisher or the author needed to ask the appeals board to investigate their case. Jack Hart of the Writers' Union rang Comfort to ask him if he would take the legal route, but he refused. He did agree to give a poetry reading in Dublin, but didn't want to talk about his sex guide or the ban. In a 2015 article, Hart wrote that the fuss over Comfort led to the censors changing their mind, that they were shamed into lifting the ban. The media debate was pretty vigorous. There were editorials in the broadsheets, and an opinion piece by one of the finest journalists of the day, Nula Ofwelein. The national broadcaster, RTE, discussed the ban in a news programme and was cheeky enough to show the book to the cameras. This ban made the joy of sex infamous, as it had been in America and Britain in the 1970s. Ireland was only 15 years late to the party. All this media attention was very impressive, but I can't prove the shaming worked. I have no proof that Hart is accurate when he said the ban was lifted. The newspapers never mentioned a change of policy by the board. 
I still have no research library access cause lockdown and pandemic and all that shit. So I'm on the fence on this one. The censors weren't that embarrassed by the brouhaha because they banned another sex guide that year. Michael Morgenstern's book, How to Make Love to a Woman, was published in 1983 and freely available in Ireland before it was banned in 1987. I'm not really sure that Sark or Cheek had much effect on the board. So what was the outcome of this censorship spat in 1987? Incredibly, if the ban wasn't lifted, it would have been illegal to sell Joy of Sex in normal bookshops until after 1999. Jaw-dropping, if true. This inglorious episode appears to show an Ireland reverting to type, close-minded, censorious and reactionary. And there was plenty of that going round in the 80s. In 1983, the electorate voted to insert a ban on abortion into the Constitution, even though abortion was actually illegal. When the government asked the people in 1986 if they wanted to allow divorce, they said no. The culture wars of the 80s were vicious, with the majority consistently voting for a conservative, misogynistic ideology. The banning of joy of sex appears to be part of a resurgence of an extreme Catholic viewpoint but I don't know if that's a fair assessment. It's frustrating because without the full blacklist, I cannot assess the work of the board. Maybe they were banning like mad before 1987, but nobody took any notice. Media attention is a fickle thing. Just because censorship wasn't in the papers doesn't mean it wasn't happening. I was 11 in 1987, so I don't remember this. I also don't recall the scandal that year when the nation's best-loved broadcaster, Gay Byrne, hosted a discussion about AIDS and condoms on primetime television. But I do remember the suffocating, oppressive gender norms of a single-sex school in the 80s. Some girls reacted by flirting outrageously with boys on the school grounds. It worked. The teachers were provoked into lecturing them about being ladies. Playing hard to get was not only a virtue, it was actually mandatory. I cut all my hair off, hoping to avoid the life sentence of being a girl at this time. By the way, this was not a convent school. I've never been taught by nuns. All those discussions by adults about condoms and sex manuals didn't affect our childhood, but it did lay the groundwork for cultural and political change around sex in the 90s. The reaction to the banning of the joy of sex was mostly surprise rather than outrage. There is a real sense that it didn't matter that much. Other sex guides, even those written by comfort, were not banned. So it's not like there were no instruction manuals for adventurous heterosexual couples. The bans were memorable because they were daft. In a review of 1987, a newspaper wrote this. The two manuals, which the National Censor thought the Irish were no longer mature enough to read, without mass perversion sweeping the nation. Actually, the big censorship issue in 1987 was videos, whose circulation among teenagers really worried people. It seemed kind of silly to fret about sex manuals when children could watch violent films in their bedrooms. And now it's time for censorship bingo. This could get complicated because I don't know which year I'm playing it for, 1974 or 1987. And as usual, we start with breasts. Comfort talks extensively about breasts. Three pages. 
from pages 67 to 70, immediately after the entry for B-Day, which is a bit weird. I thought I'd read this bit out to you to give you a feeling for the tone of parts of this book. They are sensitive structures. Don't let your residual anger at having been weaned get the better of your common sense. Excuse me, what the fuck? Crazy pop psychology there. In the next line, he advises sucking gently like a baby, which just shows you how much he knows about babies. Then there's bestiality. No, that wasn't mentioned at all. Sex work. Yes, he does mention sex work. In a very dismissive and degenerative way, actually. This book isn't about sex for its own sake, or as a commercial entity, but as part of a relationship. Then we have racism. Definitely yes. One position is called la negresse, and overall there's a lot of exoticization of other cultures. Drugs. No, I don't think he mentioned any drugs, even though this is the 70s. Politics. Nothing explicit. Swearing. There's no bad language in the book, and he didn't suggest swearing in bed either. Infidelity. He didn't really talk explicitly about marriage, or its nature, or its dissolution, so I can't really tick that. Crime. Well, some of what he talked about was criminal in Ireland. In 1974, contraception was not yet legally available, but by 1987, access had been broadened considerably. I think I'll tick it for the 1974. Genitalia. Well, obviously, yes. And there's lots of illustrations of genitalia as well. Abortion. Yes, on page 213, he talks about termination. Now, the interesting thing about this book is that it wasn't banned by the censors for advocating unnatural prevention of pregnancy or termination. If it had been banned for those reasons, the ban would have been forever everlasting and it would never have been re-banned in 1987. So I know this aspect of the book didn't actually bother the censors. I can't tick it. Orgies. Yes, he is into group sex. Sexual assault. Rape fantasies are discussed, and he's also not very sympathetic to those who have been raped, and he's quite dismissive. So that's definitely a tick. Extramarital pregnancy. Well, this book is based on access to good contraception, but extramarital pregnancy isn't really dealt with explicitly. Then masturbation. Well, obviously, it's a sex manual. Sex toys. Yes, of course. Feminism. Comfort does mention feminism, actually, but once again, only to dismiss it. Divorce. Not really. I mean, it's presumed that the couple are married or committed, but it doesn't get into details. Contraception. Yes, definitely. On page 20, there's a list of procedures and devices. Like I said, this was definitely a problem for the 1974 censors, but changes in law meant that contraception was much more available by 1987, so it can't really be that as a problem. Menstruation. Yes, menstruation does get a mention, especially as a practical impediment to sex, such as when she is, quote, closed for business, unquote. Blasphemy. No, I don't think that's relevant. Oral sex. Well, yes, there's even pictures of it. Graphic violence. No, there isn't violence in this. Queer content. 
Yes, but not in a positive way. Comfort thinks everyone is bi, except for homosexuals who are definitely weird. In the 1987 edition, gay sex between men is conceptualised as a problem because of AIDS. And he does mention transvestites and transsexuals, so I think it's fair enough to tick this particular box. In total, then, The Joy of Sex gets 15 out of 25, which is the same as Portnoy's complaint from the last episode. While I will always shudder at the thought of Alexander Portnoy wanking into raw liver, my reaction to Comfort's wacky book was often similar. Because of suggestions like this one, I'm going to read out Big Toe from page 121. Brace yourselves. The pad of the male big toe, applied to the clitoris or the vulva generally, is a magnificent erotic instrument. Make sure the nail isn't sharp. In a restaurant, in these days of tights, one can surreptitiously remove a shoe and sock, reach over, and keep her in almost continuous orgasm with all four hands fully in view on the tabletop, and no sign of contact. A party trick which rates as really advanced sex. God, that's so fucking manky. I'm almost sorry to end season three on that note. I'd like to thank all my guests for sharing their insights and all of you for listening. But don't go anywhere just yet. I have two bonus episodes lined up. I thought it might be fun to see why some books weren't banned. By now, you're thinking that every feckin' thing was banned in Ireland. But that's not quite true. A few bold books did sneak past the censors. Next time, I'm looking at At Swim Two Birds by Flann O'Brien. He was that rare thing, an Irish modernist author that was never banned. I have no idea how any book with rude bits got past the censors, but I'm going to try and figure it out. In the meantime, I'll be giving thanks that I don't have to sew my own G-strings. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.